What idiot ordered an all-out attack just as I was on the verge of finding a peaceful solution? But it wasn't Captain Hart's fault. You have just made them angry. Very, very angry. We shall destroy man and reclaim the The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones and Lee Shackelford. How are you? I am very well, very well indeed. Got some big projects going and I'm enjoying working on them. You can't ask for more than that. Indeed, indeed. Well, I could ask for Clarence Brown to be with us, but unfortunately he is not. But he does send his regards and he will be back with us soon. But... I can say, and now, live from the Gallifreyan Embassy, home to Doctor Who Podshot, the original Doctor Who podcast, I would love to welcome, I would like to welcome, I am (laughs) honored to welcome the one, the only, Louis Trapani. Who, me? Who, you? (laughs) How are you? You gotta forgive me, I'm a little rusty with my uh, podcasting here. This is probably the first show that I'm doing in a few years yeah and 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 we're honored we don't want to you know make too much of it and and drive you away with uh with our embarrassing praise but uh lewis is uh, maybe well correct me if i'm wrong lewis um if you if you look for doctor who podcasts in wikipedia i think it takes it it takes the visitor to you oh does it uh, i yeah. i've never checked <laughs> yeah and that's why we call you the podfather but that's, I, that's a you, term I haven't heard in a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, way back when you did start a Doctor Who podcast just before the new series began, right? Yeah, so, well, you know, going back to 2005 um, with the new series beginning, I believe so it was, it was March of 2005 that it started. So with the new series starting and, you know, with the Gallifreyan Embassy, which is a Doctor Who fan club, which, you know, I founded back in 1985. And it was, um, you know, um, still going with newsletters. and But that's really was its main form of communication. And I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember back if there was if it was still being published. There was a website, like a one page website at the time. But I'm not sure if the newsletters were still being published. Um, they may or may not have been. But on the forefront of the technology was this new thing called podcasting, which was yeah. just arriving on the scene at the time with the new series at hand. I said, well, now, you know, what better time to jump on this podcasting form of communication with the new series. Now we have something something new to talk about. Unfortunately, around that same time, my voice went. Just when I wanted to do the show to start the podcast, mm-hmm. I had no voice to do it. So I had to kind of put it on the back burner for a while. And then, so that was spring. And then by the time summer rolled around, I said, okay, my, my voice is back. Let's get back to this idea. And, and we launched Doctor Who Podshock. Wow, I did not know the bronchitis part of the story. I did not yeah, either. I, I think it was I, whatever it was. I, I had lost my I, like this, and yeah. I said, well, you could. I mean, talk about being the pod father. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll make you a podcast. You can't. It's <laughs> a good, good, uh, good ad line. Um, so I think it was August. I, I don't qu- quote me on this. But I think it was like August the eighth that the first. Podshock went out, so probably because we recorded it in July, so that set, you know that probably was the first week of August that it went out. And don't listen to that first episode; mm-hmm. it's 
you know, recorded it with obviously with headphones and the way it was set up was that there was we were hearing ourselves, but on a delay. So yeah, if you ever, yeah. you know, done that, if you ever did a yep. recording and hearing yourselves, even if it's just like a microsecond behind, it just throws you off because you're hearing your own voice, but not at the same time that you, you're saying it. So it was um, a little jarring. And eventually we worked that out and it was no longer the case. But that first episode was, you know, <laughs> was a little jarring to do. <laughs> yeah, I've had that happen. Just enough times to say never again. I, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I have my monitoring. I've got my headphones on, but my monitoring turned off right now just because I, I, I can't do it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So, wow. 17 years. Yeah. 17 years ago. Yeah. And and the doctor was Christopher Eccleston. It was. Yes. Yeah. So to, to give people <laughs> a sense of a sense of scale as if they didn't already know that. But yeah, news, reviews and fan mail for James. Yes. And you know what's so interesting about that is, you know, let's go a little bit into the future from 2005. Kyle and Lee are listening to Doctor Who Podshock. I remember on one of my exercise kicks that I would download it. And every time I would go go exercise, I would go and listen to Doctor Who Podshock. So that was like my companion to trying to get in shape and all that. Lee, you have a story, I believe, about listening. You were in the hospital at one point. Yeah. Listening to Podshock. But I want to bring us up to 2015. And I want to share something that I went and found earlier this afternoon. And Lee, I'm not sure if I've ever reshared this with you. It is an excerpt from an email sent to Lee and I from Lewis, and it reads, I decided to take our respective conversations via social media to email. I think you both know each other to some extent, being that you have been on the same live show of Doctor Who Podshock on a few occasions. If not, Lee, this is Kyle, and Kyle, this is Lee. Now virtually shake hands with each other. I've been communicating <laughs> with both of you about DWP on a studio show co-hosting. As things are playing out, you both may be coming on starting on the same episode. That said, what do you both think about doing a John Pertwee story review? I was thinking perhaps the sea devil. <laughs> wow. I wrote that. You did indeed. Yeah. Wow. You, you know, introduced me to that guy. This, um, <laughs> know, um, you know, it's just, sometimes it's amazing when you go back and you find stuff that you've like written, you know, just off the cuff and you're like, Oh wow, that sounds actually um, rather good. And I, I, I can't imagine myself writing that now. <laughs> well, you did indeed. I went and found the email yeah. because, yes, I still have it. So, yeah, I knew that we, we um, you know, we did a review in 2015 of the Sea Devils, but bravo, it was uh, both of you were included on that. So That's right. And, and here we are. And uh, Kyle and I have been now making hundreds of episodes of Discussing Who and and that was the last time that I've actually seen the Scene Devils. Um, I don't think I've had a chance to, you know, return to it since then. So, so I'm pretty sure I watched it for for Podshock too, and hadn't looked at it since. But it did seem like we've been wanting to get you on on this show forever. Then when we started talking about um, the what is it, the Legend of the, the Sea Devils, the Legend of the Sea Devils, yeah. Yes. We said, oh, we should do Sea Devils. <gasps> oh, my God, this is a perfect time to get Lois on the show. <laughs> the stars are in alignment. Move. Exactly. So 2015, that was that seven seven years ago. Seven years ago. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And, but, but speaking of co-hosts, I just want to just, um, um, I'd be remiss not to mention, if, since we did go back to the beginnings of Dr. Hupachak. So, you know, back then it was uh, Ken Deep. James Norton and myself doing it. So, program with Louis Trapani. Hello. 
Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, you know, props to them as well. So, you know. I, I... Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. The, the unholy trio. And I was at Gallifrey. I think the only time James was ever able to be there because he had so very far to travel. Yeah. yeah so uh, I think that was 2009 that he attended. I haven't been there since. Well, I, I got hit with Superstorm Sandy and in 2012, so I I haven't been there since. Um, you know, between that and yeah. then I was um, um, taking care of family members here, and um, so I, I just you know one day I feel like the doctor now. I feel like the first doctor. One day I will <laughs> sure come back. Yes, uh, and I guess they they just haven't been doing it either, right? Well, they they're selling tickets. They've sold tickets now for February of this uh, upcoming February. I can't recall they they were. Was a one in 2020 because it was right before you know the pandemic exploded on us so yeah. they there was one in february 2020 so they may have just skipped over 2021 and i'm not sure if they had one this year did they have one this year i no want idea. to say they did and i think huh. sarah warren a friend of the show discussing who has sh shared a picture of her in the sarah jane outfit from the hand of fear oh. and i am quite sure that that she said she has taken that at gallifrey so sarah mm -hmm. if you're listening let us know did you take that picture at gallifrey because i think you did she will I be i think there was one this year because okay. I, I do seem to recall seeing some photos you know um you know people wearing face coverings in, in cosplay outfits okay. you should have passed out gas masks at the door just... are you my oh, mommy exactly mommy are you <laughs> my mommy well, I, I want to also mention real, really, really quick, I would be remiss to not also mention Christy Bissett and, of course, Dave Cooper, because we got to know them through Doctor Who Podshock. And seriously, right. Lewis, I don't think you know how many times Lee and I reminisce about the fact of from what you did by inviting us on to be on Doctor Who Podshock did indeed create this domino effect that has like profoundly impacted mine and Lee's lives in the set yeah. in the sense that we know each other impacted Clarence of all these things that we are doing and we continue to do honestly and I'm not joking here are because of you so thank you well thank all right and and the same goes for me you know I I value our friendships even though we haven't been recording you know, together in a while, but, uh, you know, we still try to stay connected. You know, it was e either through, um, what is it? Um, Slack. Um, Slack. Um, you know, we try to stay connected one way or another. And now that things have kind of changed on my personal front here, when things have progressed a little bit further, when I can probably get back in the saddle again with podcasting and, you know, either bring Pachak back or launch a new show or... Ooh. Do something to that effect. Who yeah, knows? so it's this may that... this may spark the creativity. Exactly. But you know what is a spark? You know what is a spark <laughs> for me? Every single episode is the moment when I get to say, <laughs> if you have not seen the Sea Devil, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? Well, spoilers. And I killed Sparky, too. <laughs> Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Sea Devils. This is the 
third episode, or the, excuse me, the third story of the ninth season of Doctor Who, airing in six parts between the 26th of February and the 1st of April, 1972. It starred John Pertwee as the third Doctor, Katie Manning as Joe Grant, and Roger Delgado as the Master. So, summary view. Lewis, I'll start with you. Summary view. What did you think of this story? Oh, let's 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 see if this is going to work. I'm I'm doing this a little haphazardly because um, I'm not. This isn't set up properly, but I'm just going to try to do this over the speakers. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers again. Spoilers. 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 Brilliant. There we go. Yeah, it's all about. <laughs> I had forgotten that you had a spoiler warning with, I think, literally every time anybody said spoilers on the show. <laughs> We're abandoning ship. We're abandoning ship. Our position is. It's the master's permanent residence. Those things that attacked us. You said you'd seen something like it before. They emerged from some caves in Derbyshire. The Silurians, wasn't it? another of their colony right here beneath us some review what did you think did you enjoy this so the sea devils um i think this is like the quintessential john pertwee story you know where he's categorized as uh, out of all the doctors as the the man of action and i think this really puts those on display for us to all enjoy it's also a nice sequel to the solarians and it's, it's a sequel but without the solarians in it so it was not just a rehash of just the solarians and in in a certain sense maybe a certain aspect of the story about you know trying to prevent a war between two different species but otherwise it's a new take on it the the the, the sea devils are from the same era but not the same the exact same race it's a little twist there and it's done out in the sea, you know, where the Slorians, you know, were coming from underground and whatnot. These were sea creatures and they designed them. They modeled them after like uh, sea turtles. And so they have a whole completely different look. And um, and they were very creative in their costumes. And, you know, they, they really outdid themselves for, for that era. You know, they it really was you know, not your typical run-of-the-mill creature. They they took some time and effort in developing them and made it work. So I think it's a it's a it's a nice story. It's a good story that maybe someone that might not be familiar with with John Pertwee's era to watch as a you know as a taste of what his flavor of the Doctor is. I, again, I agree with Lewis. Of course, if you don't know the Third Doctor, here's the episode for you because. John Pertwee, at least the way he was telling the story, you know, years later, was that he asked if he can be the one who gets to ride in sports cars and stuff. And uh, can I can I have an interesting car to drive? Can I have two interesting cars to drive? <laughs> can I have every time there's a speedboat or a or a, a hydrofoil, for heaven's sake, you know, anything like that, he gets to ride it. So it's amazing that uh, Joe's stuntman is the one who gets to go off on the motorcycle because you'd expect it to be him. But he, I think he, every form of a vehicle makes including a hovercraft you know made yeah. it into um this the story exactly so this is not, not just him being the guy who always has to drive things but yeah they're all in this episode <laughs> it's a little surprising he isn't trying to command the submarine but mm. it's <laughs> true but it's not a real one so he he just wanted as an actor he just wanted to you know really be 
you know, on the speedboat or the jet skis and all those things. So it, I just think that's a lot of, it's, it's interesting to, to watch him do that. And, um, this is in the, the, the days when the doctor is exiled on earth. So a lot of our, uh, alien antagonism has to come from the doctor's arch nemesis. That's one of the things I like best about it is that we get a lot of the great Roger Delgado as uh, the master mm -hmm. here. So, yeah. So my summary view is going to be this, and I'm going to quote a very wise man that I <laughs> don't know who this might be, but I'm going to say this. I can boil it all down for you. John Pertwee gets to drive all the vehicles he can. <laughs> British Navy stock footage bombs the hell out of the open sea. Roger Delgado snarls and Katie Manning is cute. The end. That's <laughs> summary view. Very wise man. Very yeah. wise man named Lee Shackleford. At that point, Lewis said he hadn't seen the last episode yet. And I said, oh, well, here it is. <laughs> and that's that. But in a way, that's the entire episode for that's six it. stories. I thought, well, that's kind of... And is that a problem, that it's six episodes long and that you kind of can boil it all down that easily? So let me ask that question and yeah. let's, let's talk about that. Is it six episodes worthy or could it have been four? What do you guys think? While rewatching it just recently, um, I think I was up until like episode three and I said, you know what, we, you know, we hardly, you know, we've seen just glimpses of the sea devils, but, you know, we're already like in episode three, halfway through and we still haven't gotten any like meaty scenes with them you know and we haven't seen like their their base or or anything like that so perhaps it could have been dwindled down to four but i i thought this you know having six episodes gave them the the luxury of maybe doing things and stretching it out a little bit and building it up a little bit so you know mm. was it steven spielberg said of jaws you know that what made it really scary is not seeing the shock all the time That's so right. it was a a, a massive build-up to the climax where we got to see, I think they had like six costume sea devils, you know, so, but before then you would just see one, you know, it opens up where they're on that, um, was it, a, was it a, a base, a sea base where there were just a couple of people there that were manning it. In fact, one of them was um, Declan Mulholland, mm. who yes, yes, good old for, Declan Mulholland again. Yeah, for Star Wars fans, you may remember him as the original job of the hut or uh, actually he shot scenes um, that were then deleted and edited out of the final release of Star Wars yeah. A New Hope. But he played the human job of the hut, you know, and had a scene with Hans. And uh, like I said, it was thus deleted. And But he was he played Clark in The Sea Devils. He was also played another character in another Doctor Who episode, The Androids of Terror, where he played a character named Till. But um, in this story, he played Clark. And it was a sea fort. I, I think they called it a sea fort, you know, like an abandoned sea fort. And they were just there maintaining it. But I, I felt that whole atmosphere was reminiscent of, you know, of that first episode or, or first two episodes while they were in the seaport. It had a little reminiscence of Alien there, but it set out in sea. So, you know, talking about not seeing the creatures, not seeing the sea devils, uh -huh. it, it had that flavor to it watching it this time. No, not so much as if, if you go back to like the arc in space that really has an Alien's uh, yes. flavor to it. But, but this one did have, it was like a haunted house in, out in sea. So, so I, I thought that they played that very well. Well, Lewis makes a good case for six. The only time where I ever remember just sort of drumming my fingers and saying okay was um, some of the uh, the scenes at sea when we're going between boats and coming away from the sea fort and getting on the ship, and so that it's like wow, we got this all this cooperation with the Royal Navy. Let's 
let's use it by golly and let's share every frame that we've shot <laughs> like okay just when i think the story needs to be building towards a climax it's like we suddenly slow down to do that and that that's frustrating but um, uh, when we've got people in a room just sparring with each other either verbally or with swords i hope we'll come to that <laughs> that's when i think the, the episode is at its best the way i look at it is you know i and this is why i love dissecting these stories in these episodes because it makes you think and i love thinking but <laughs> that being said if you look at it from the perspective of they were given six episodes and regardless of whether you think that this might have been drawn out a little bit too long if you look at it from the story that it told they took their six episodes they introduced a concept they introduced a story and they had a happy resolution by episode six. We don't always get that. That's I'm, true. I'm not going to say who doesn't always give us that at this point, but I will say we don't always get that in six episodes. True. We got that in this. So I could have done with four, but if I look at it from that perspective, they told their story and they told it in six. Yeah. Good for them. So let's talk about the sea devils themselves for a moment. We saw the Silurians return a mere five years later after Doctor Who returned in 2005 because we see it in Series 5 with Matt Smith's first season as the 11th Doctor. It took 17 years for the sea devils to return because they'll be returning, as we've already said, in about two weeks as of this recording. Lee, why do you think it took so long to get Siler? I mean, excuse me, mean to devils. get the Sea Devils. Sea yes. Devils. And do we ever learn what they call themselves? Or we, yeah, we never... that's because you know I'm sure they don't call themselves Sea Devils. So yeah. that's um, that's an interesting point. So now, just for clarity, just um, since we're talking about years and and bringing them back to yeah. we're at the fiftieth anniversary. 50th, 50th, yes, 50th, yeah. I, interesting. I, I yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Years keep on going by so quickly. When we were just celebrating the fiftieth anniversary, Doctor <laughs> Here now we're already like at the cusp of the sixtieth anniversary. Yeah, so. yeah. It's the 50th anniversary of Sea Devils. Was, yeah, yeah, so the 50th anniversary of Sea Devils. So they did return in the 80s. Was it 1984? Mm -hmm. um, With the with fifth a, doctor. Um, the fifth doctor, uh, Peter Davison, uh, Warriors of the Deep. And I haven't seen that in, in many, many years. So I, I don't recall if there's any revelation of... Um, I'm sure there's Wikipedias out there that we can look up and see if they ever do name themselves. I have to say, you know, I, I thought they were a great design. You know, obviously, you know, the actors' heads were where the necks were, but they elongated the neck. So typically, you know, you have an alien, and, and even if they don't look human, you can see that they're human forms. But here they tried to do something a little bit different where they put the heads were really like hats on the actors and all that. So, right. so they had elongated heads. They had these unique weapons, you know, they, their weapons were like like discs that they were holding, you know, so typically all like aliens. And, and these weren't, I should refer that these aren't aliens. These are actually Earth creatures. They're just, That's true. So often we see other civilizations have the same similar weapons that we have, you know, they all look like rifles or all look like pistols. And yeah. here it's something completely different. So kudos to them. You know, the, the, the costumes were sort of a last minute decision where I have them con they wanted to have, they designed them originally without costumes but they wanted to have costumes to give a more civilized approach to them but when it came time to shooting they weren't done yet so they just did a makeshift thing with netting but it worked out well for this story according to 
the TARDIS data core, the Sea Devils are also called Aquatic Silurians. This is from the prose book Blood Heat and Reptilia Sapiens from an audio of called Tidal. So, yes, rept- Aquatic Silurians. Yeah. <laughs> and they probably they don't call themselves that either. Cause no. As the doctor points out in this, the the Silurians were misnamed anyway. They would they they were not from the Silurian era. That's right. That's right. So so it just keeps getting worse. Yes. But uh, but anyway, I, I do I do like the look of them, and uh, and as Lewis says, it's, it's at least an effort towards invention to make them taller than everybody else by having the actors' head in their necks, you know. And since they they sort of resemble sea turtles anyway, having an extended neck makes kind of a lot of sense. It's true. Interesting. So I want to talk real quick about the music. I want to go back. I meant to mention mm. this earlier. Oh, yeah. And ironically enough, I was listening about 20 minutes before we started recording. I was cringing at my own voice of listening to our review back in 2015 that said... My comment that I made basically was, because I wear hearing aids, the music in this story just does not work well with hearing aids. Thoughts? What did yeah. you guys think of this unusual score? And Lee, why don't you take this one? Well, I had a road trip this week, and I thought I might not have time to watch the serial again. So I saved its audio track and I listened to it while I was on the road. That was not pleasant. And it's the soundtrack of it, of pings and beeps and, and sort of outer space sounds, which, you know, I mean, that's what the radio lab, uh, the BBC radio workshop was doing in the first place was making music of unearthly sounds. But I don't know who, who did this score, but it's not Delia Derbyshire. (laughs) It's, it's just to me, atonal and annoying. And of course, a story point in this is that the master spends a lot of time in prison building an annoying noise machine. So it was hard for me to tell sometimes when it was the function of the machine or if it was part of the music score. Well, you know, it's funny. Your one of your comment and our previous recording of Listen a couple of episodes back, uh, we were right. recommending people listen to the score, and this is actually right. the reverse. Don't here's listen. the irony. <laughs> yeah, this is a show to watch uh, with the sound down and the closed captions. So, Lewis, what do you think? Well, the the music is definitely um, controversial. You know, it's you or divisive. It's I, even within myself, it is because um, <laughs> it was experimental at the time, and they were trying to do something different and un, unworld, un, unworldly, unearthly at that time. And I think it does do that, but I do like parts of it. So I, I like the thematic type of, um, of, of, of themes that they used. But the, the, the what's great on me is like. The pings and pops that you had mentioned, like and especially like when Joe is exploring or um, running around, trying, you know, um, l- lurking about and trying not to be discovered and sneaking around, and they were mm-hmm. going, bing, bing, bing. I'm like, no, no. yes, <laughs> no. so yes, so yeah, so I, parts of it really is grating, and I wish it wasn't there, but some of the other parts, the the, the thematic parts, where it's. I think they work well. It sets the tone 
for this story, I thought, and 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 it sets it apart from other stories as well. So I, I I think it was thought to be too different at the time, and therefore I don't think you know it continued on. I thought it was you know they took a risk, they took a chance, and experimented a bit and see. Want, they wanted to see how it was going to work, but I think parts of it did work, but many other parts did not. And unfortunately, sometimes those parts that didn't work, you know, outweigh the parts that do, you know, because that's what lingers in your head. Yeah. And Classic Who did have a lot of experimentation with its incidental music, didn't it? We we heard all kinds of uh, music over the years. So this is just one of the many variations on it. But it sounds to me like the atmospheric tones that were created by B.B. Uh, and Lewis Barron for Forbidden Planet. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or I should say, it sounds to me like that's what they were attempting. And I just don't think it works. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, a nice pull out to the Forbidden Planet. I, I yeah. But you're right. But, you know, uh, we all know that Gene Roddenberry obviously loved Forbidden Planet. I mean, it's it's oh. some people some people call it the unofficial pilot for Star Trek. One of the things that he did not like was that music. Yeah. And and so famously said, no, what I want is, you know, Captain's Courageous. I want, you know, like a swashbuckler movie. That's the score that I want. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm always so grateful. That's what we got. So some of the great moments of Star Trek are, are backed by just this fantastic symphonic score. But yeah, you know, it was a sci-fi TV show. I think a lot of people might have assumed that it needed to have... (laughs) And it's fine if you're sitting in front of a computer screen and you're hearing this, or you walk into this big room with all these computers and you hear... (laughs) But not as Lewis was saying, or one of you were saying, with Katie Manning outside. (laughs) 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 You know, that's... Can't the people inside hear that? Yes. I think we need a special edition of of the Sea Devils where they can go back and fix some of the things that were a little wrong. Interesting. And what's really interesting is the director of this even admitted that, I believe the composer was Malcolm Clark, that his choice of music was a mistake. And Clark even went so far as to admit it are admitting that he never really got what Barry Letts wanted and that he himself wished that he could have done it a little different. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the world is full of regrets. But you know what is not a regret? The master and the doctor having a swashbuckling adventure. <laughs> because for some reason in this prison, you, I know where you're going of... with this. You're, you're going to point out exactly what I was just about to point out. Go ahead. Why? Why? <laughs> so they can have a sword. Yeah, they have, they have swords right outside the prison. The prisoners' yeah. uh, room. Like yeah. what? Well, it's it's for recreation. I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, I guess by the time we see that, we realize that the master is actually not particularly uh, under lock and key. So but, I don't know. maybe maybe he uh, maybe that was a, a special request of his. But you'd think somebody would have noticed it. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Why? <laughs> anyway, as a connoisseur, I do love that sword fight, even though at one point the master uses his epe as a as a cutting weapon. You know, he's slashing at the doctor and you can't cut somebody with it. You can leave a mark on them but you, it, it's it's not a meat cleaver you can, <laughs> anyway my question to you guys is do we think that the master was really captive there because i wasn't sure if he was using his mental hypnosis powers or if it was just these people were just going along with his charisma or was it both what do you guys think that's a that's a good question actually because um the, the prison director, whose name I'm now blanking on, 
I, I thought that he had he had been hypnotized by the master in that he does, and to the degree that even the doctor couldn't couldn't see through it. Mm -hmm. But as time goes by in the story, we get the feeling that he's just been duped. That he he's been told he's going to be you know a hero who saves Britain from uh, enemy agents. Trenchard. Trenchard, yes, Trenchard, and and, and even uh, and Hart makes the comment later on that that was Trenchard's great uh, great weakness was his patriotism. You know, it allowed him to be uh, subverted by the master. So so yeah, maybe maybe the master is legitimately locked up, except when. Uh, he and Trenchard are collaborating on something. Well, I, I thought it was. Well, I agree with with Lee, and um, but I, I think it's just a it's just a wonderful concept to that that we encounter the master in prison because you know he was captured at the end of the demons, a previous master story, and so often with master stories that involve the master, you see him, you know, at you know some he he meets some sort of doom at the end, and then all of a sudden he's back. And there's no explanation, like like he's just you know back as the master again. I love the way it sort of had a continuation, or that there was some sort of consequences to his previous actions, <laughs> and now he's in prison, even though he's compromised the the staff there. But you know he's in prison there, and I thought another aspect of it is that the doctor is imprisoned on Earth, and here he's dealing with the master who's imprisoned, and the sea devils are themselves you know, find themselves prisoners of a human-controlled Earth. So Ooh. there are three sets of prisoners here, all nice. fighting for their own freedoms, in a I, sense. I like it. Yeah, that's that's a great way of looking at it. And and I like the fact there's an exchange early on where uh, the doctor makes mention of the fact that the Master still has a working TARDIS out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, yeah, the Master says, yeah, and you'd like to know where it is. Too, yeah. right? <laughs> it is the little reminder that, as you say, the Doctor is, in fact, in exile. Lee, you have made reference several times about the Master in his later incarnation becoming more and more manic in his mm -hmm. demeanor. This is a perfect example of a patient, calculating, long game version, in my opinion, yes. of the Master. Exactly. Yeah, this is why, to me, Roger Delgado is the yes. one and only master. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Because... Even, even though, you know, he wasn't my first master, you know, the, um, but, you know, once I, you know, saw Roger Delgado as the master, he originated the role and he just, I don't know, it, it, there's just no comparison because he's he underplays it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not over the top, you know, where all the other masters, so many of them do play him over the top and here he, he, he underplays it and it, and he does it so well. And, you know, he could be maniacal, but he's not laughing maniacally. You know, he's he, he plays it cool. And what I also find is ironic is that you talk, you know, unfortunately, we lost Roger Delgado very early on, you know, while he was still doing the series. And um, I believe it was a car accident, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Anyone that speaks of him always says how wonderful he is and how kind and and, and lovely mm -hmm. he is as a person so he's like completely you know in real life he was completely opposite of of the master himself so right. it must have been a joy <laughs> for him to play such a character i don't remember where i'd heard this but um he and john Pertwee, i think were just great pals mm -hmm. and that they just really enjoyed working together and and i think you could tell it on screen that they're, they're just having a ball 
Mm. It's just, <laughs> and, and so the thing like the sword fight that makes no sense. You know, that, that may not even be in the script. That they may have, <laughs> I could see them going to the director together and saying, you know, how we could end this. This, this you know. <laughs> Well, all I know is just listening to you that it is both of you. It is quite evident when you're talking about this master that you took great pains to say something say something nice. nice. Yes, uh, yes, you did. You did. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, that's true. And that is a good way to describe the master is when you're describing the master to say something nice. <laughs> I'm just saying. But let's go on and talk about the Doctor and Joe Grant. And Lee, I want to point this one to you first. The Doctor and Joe, what were your thoughts about how they or what their dynamic? Yeah, it, it's not a great Doctor and Joe episode. They, they're they split up too often. There are too many other characters and plot lines to keep up with. So poor Katie Manning isn't on screen a lot in this. And she and she gets to scream. You know, it's kind of disappointing. And then we get this this moment of pluck where she pushes over these two guards and gets away and uh, uh, steals a motorcycle. And um, you go, all righty then. <laughs> Something's happening with this companion. But that's really about it for her. The, the rest of the time, she can just sort of bite her lip and look worried. And it's, uh, it's, it's a dead waste of Katie Manning is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Lewis? echo what Lee says, um, you know, they were separated for the most part. And then unfortunately, Katie had this horrible soundtrack anytime she was you know, <laughs> prancing around. <laughs> you know, there, there were a few moments there. Acute moments is when she does find the doctor and, and he's I believe he's tied up in a chair and he's she squats down so that so the doctor can head buck the guy and he yes. falls over Joe Grant. Yes. And then she so, karate shops him. That's right. <laughs> She does that as if they've practiced this before. Exactly. Is, like, yeah, like we've done this before. We're going to yeah. do that thing that we did before. Yeah. <laughs> so they were separated too much so that the chemistry really wasn't, you know, being put on display there because they were just too, you know, they just weren't together that often. So I really wanted Clarence to be here for this next thing I was going to bring up because we have made reference in Series 8 to the doctor's treatment of Clara and some of the things that he has said to her. And I was thinking about that being on full display with the scene where this person is bringing Katie Manning's Joe Grant a plate of sandwiches. And the doctor just takes them from her and is like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be eating, and then starts eating them. In fact, manages to eat them all. Yes. But uh, but then um, Blythe goes about to get some more for her. Thank goodness. But but yeah, it is. It just it just seems um, it's funny but cruel at the same time. Yeah, it's it's not on the scale of Twelfth Doctor and um, Caretaker. It's <laughs> but it's uh, it still seems like a mean a mean little joke. Were there anything else that you guys had that you wanted to bring up about the story in general or anything? And Lewis. I'll let you start first. Any topics that you would like to discuss about the story in general, the Silurians, the Sea Devils, anything? Go for it. Well, let's see. Um, I, I've been on a Troughton binging story oh, lately, dear. so I've been watching a lot of Troughton did you, episodes. Did you so. find your recorder? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one here so I could play it right now. But um, I'm trying to put myself 
in the mindset of the Pertwee error where this story falls into place. So I'm not sure if this was the first time, but he definitely this in episode six, he definitely says reverse the polarity, the neutron flow, which yes. is like an iconic uh, line from the, the of the third doctor. So that's, you know, the story stands out for that as well. Just trying to think of this, anything else about the story without, you know, getting into like little trivia things, you know, we, we got to see the doctor eating, which is a rare event. That's true. Um, I really need to get back into watching more of, of Pertwee again because, like I said, I, I've been I've been getting these um, you know these Blu-ray sets, you know, which are great, but my time has been limited, so it's been hard to get through watching all them. So I, I was like watching, yeah. going between uh, Troughton and some Tom Baker's, and but I, I definitely need to revisit some of the of the Pertwee era. There, there are a couple. I think there's at least two, if not more, of the Blu-ray sets of the Pertwee era. And there were just a, a new one that just came out that was I just got in the mail, which was a Tom Baker one, which has the Shotter story included. In oh, it. yeah. So, yeah, I just I, as I had mentioned, I think it's it's a story that once again, the doctor is trying to prevent a ongoing war. And he, he's completely frustrated because he can't seem to get this through the principles, you know, that they, they, everyone's so strong headed and they're underestimating the humans and. They don't understand that this is going to go on and on. And it's a retelling of that story. Like I said, that that whole thing about being prisoners and 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 and, and these like three different groups are trying to obtain their own freedom in that sense. I thought overall, you know, overall, I thought it was a it's a good story. And like I said, as I said in my original synopsis, that it's a great tentpole of a John Pertwee story, you know, and it, and it had everything in it. So, you know, you had hovercrafts diving bells speedboats um mm -hmm. you know jet ski. craft imaginable motorcycle jet ski but you know what it didn't have in it a big blue box it's true the tardis is not seen at all it's true yeah. just kind of a yeah mm -hmm. um, i did notice at the end the, the um the the structure they were in the doors of that in episode six it had a TARDIS blue color to it. I'm like, oh, there's a, <laughs> they're, 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 the TARDIS isn't here, but there's a little callback to it. That's right. <laughs> it's the only blue we get in the episode. Yeah. Oh, and this is another um, standout for this story is that I don't know, you know, I would have to research this, but this is one of the, if not the only, but one of the few that they're actually shooting out on at sea, you know, where it's not in a studio with their, they're oh. actually in, in Pertwee's in the, in the water himself at one point, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I always love Doctor Who when they get out of the studio and they do location work and, yes. you know, and we got to see a lot of that here in this story where they're, they're on the beach, you know, I love unit, but it was a joy to see them, the doctor working with another branch of the military here, which was the, was it the Royal Navy? Mm -hmm. And yeah. they got to use actual real Navy people in it. You know, they, they weren't just all just actors dressed up as Navy people. They were actually Navy officers that were lending themselves to play parts. Interesting. And to fill out the episode. So usually you might just have one of three four maybe extras here you got a whole ensemble you had a brigade of, of navy people at yeah. your disposal here. the whole crew of that that ship yeah, yeah. so it had a, a nice epic feel to it almost like a movie quality to it yeah you're right we go on location and it's not a rock quarry <laughs> yes exactly it's a water quarry <laughs> it's a water quarry so lee what about you did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up Trivia, I think. Um, this uh, at one point, the master is watching clangers on the the mm -hmm. big TV, and this does this establish the joke 
Lewis, is this the first time that's happened? A time and again, we'll see the master and he's he's watching children's television, <laughs> uh, you know, like Teletubbies. He's watching yeah. shows that are designed for itty bitties. I think this might be the, the, the first. This might be the, you know, yeah, this may be a fallback the, to this. Yeah, where the joke begins is here. <laughs> oh, when when all the guy when the um, the sea devils uh, are coming into the submarine and all of the uh, sailors there, they you know they hide behind things and they come out with rifles and so on. I could not help but think of the hunt for Red October, where it is brought up that you probably shouldn't shoot a gun inside a submarine. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, as uh, Sean Connery, the commander, says, you know, some things are susceptible to bullets. <laughs> um, Very good. You do that. Thank well, you. Very well. Um, Again, with the nuclear weapons, um, yes. uh, Walker, like in Hand of Fear, Walker says, oh, we're going to have to drop the bomb on them. Like, These are not toys, do they? <laughs> I, I don't I'm understand. thinking to myself, you know, what are the consequences? What are other countries are going to, you know, think, you know? Exactly. Well, you just don't like play around with nuclear weapons. And I, I don't know which coast we're on, but we're either in the Irish Sea or the English Channel. You, you can't. Drop an atom bomb. So just let me <laughs> anyway. say this before you before you move on. You said hand of fear, right? Yes. So right. you know what that means. I have Eldred to say, Eldrad must live. Eldrad must live. <laughs> and you remind me that uh, since uh, Sarah W. dresses up as uh, hand of fear, and Sarah Jane, I've got to get her one of those rings. So. Oh, yes. Anyway, did we talk about how the doctor gets out of that diving bell? Go for it. Let's talk about it. Well, I don't know how he gets out of the door. And I don't think it's addressed in the episode. He's 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 in it. They bring the bell up. He's gone. A cliffhanger. And then we see him in the, the Sea Devil base. Yeah, I just <laughs> assume uh, that the Sea Devils took him, you know, out of it. Yeah. But they're water creatures. He'd be that was one of those things that was left <laughs> for interpretation. Yeah. That one still kind of bugs me. In, uh, as long as we're underwater, the actor who's playing the sub-commander, Ridgeway, that's uh, Donald Sumter who is 79 as we record this, and he is still working. He's got something coming out this year. Wow. And I think he's interesting because, to us, because he has appeared in three Doctor Who stories. Mm. And a, you've probably just seen him, uh, Lewis, in um, The Wheel in Space. He's a uh, navigator named uh, mm. Enrico Casale on the space station. Mm -hmm. And then he's Sub-Commander Ridgeway in The Sea Devils. And, spoilers... He's in hell bent with the twelfth doctor Ooh. as the Lord President of Gallifrey. Oh, oh, okay. That's Donald Sumter. That's why I recognize that name. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's what I love about Doctor Who is, you know, because it's um, you know, produced in a relatively, you know, small country, you know, with confined set of actors. Yeah. And it's a long living, long running show. So you get to see you know, the same actors play different roles. They're going to keep coming back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, and if you're Lala Ward or uh, Colin Baker oh, or, you, you're, yeah. or, or Peter Capaldi, you <laughs> come back as a major role. You may, yeah, you may get promoted. Oh, what else? Um, oh, this was written by Malcolm Hulk, who it was, I guess for a long time, certainly during the Pertwee era, he is the, the head writer for this show. I mean, he, he wrote, I guess all of this season, his, if you look at his list of scripts for Doctor Who, it just goes on and on and on. But a lot of us know his work because of the novelizations mm -hmm. that he, yes. he wrote lots and lots of the paperbacks, including Doctor Who and the Sea Devils, naturally. Yeah. Did so he, if you, didn't he do a lot of base under siege stories? I, I think that was sort of his thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, this is yeah, sort of like the base above, you know. This is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got to talk about this. Okay. Clarence and I always love to talk about the women we find attractive on these shows. And, and the, I think that irks some people in our audience, to whom I apologize. But, you know, we're human. And I don't know why, but I just love seeing an attractive woman dressed essentially as a man. I Maybe this is a field for deep psychoanalysis. But anyway, <laughs> and that goes to male-ish uniform. And so third officer Jane Blythe in her kind of mannish uniform is just irresistible to me. And I love this character. And Malcolm Hulk is having a lot of fun with this, that these mm -hmm. men keep coming and going through the office, every one of whom treats her like an inferior. And she's a naval officer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just this little passive sexism to which she, you know, she takes it all stoically. But I love the way this actress plays it. She just, it's, she's simmering underneath. You can see it. It's like, boy, one more time. And then this prime minister's secretary comes in and is telling her to fetch him some breakfast. And I really, it passes by very quickly, but I really think she looks like she's going to tell him what right. to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great. While we're talking trivia, I just yeah. have to mention this one. Mm. After the show aired, MI5, not MI18, but MI5, came to the studio asking how they came up with the nuclear submarine model. The, the director and the visual effects designer explained that they simply used an off-the-shelf model kit but replaced the propeller with a vacuum cleaner part because the model's propeller didn't look seaworthy. By sheer happenstance, the vacuum cleaner part had the exact same number of blades as a real nuclear submarine propeller, meaning they accidentally guessed classified information and revealed <laughs> the sonar signal that was basically yeah. identif identifying a British nuclear submarine. And that comes from the TARDIS data call. Wow. And you know, I don't believe that. You don't? Yeah, I think that is a story that somebody has told and that it, it got repeated because I've heard this about other shows too. Our design was so good that, you know, fill in the blank. Well, it was it's really MI-18 then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah not everybody that, knows that but i get it so there exactly you go. yeah hey that shannon we think it was um yeah or, or hydra but you know that's the story they used to tell about star trek too that uh that gene roddenberry had guys from the navy come around to, to his office and say hey you know we've seen the design for your bridge well that's the design of our new aircraft carrier bridges you know how did you get that information i don't i don't buy it. yeah i just <laughs> well it's something that if it was actually the case i I didn't have time to when I was rewatching it to kind of watch the subtitles where they, the info text where they give you like oh, yeah. behind the scenes info and all that. I right. think it would have been like in that, you know, or, or or I didn't have time to like if they were sending commentaries included to to like to uh, listen to those. So I would think it would be, you know, included in one of those. But it is a good story. It's still a good story. It's one of those mm -hmm. things that ought to have been true, whether it was or not. There you go. But you know what is true? Wow. I think I could universally agree, feel free to disagree, but that our favorite quote may have been, reverse the polarity of the neutron <laughs> flow. Does anybody disagree? Well, it's easy. It's, it's Okay, so if anybody has another one, go for easy. it. Well, just for the reasons I was talking about before, about this, uh, these people sort of um, uh, underestimating third officer Jane Blythe, I, I did love this line just because of its... Uh, irony of Walker, prime minister's secretary or whatever. Well, this is war, my dear. War calls for sacrifice. Any chance of any more toast? 
mm. licking the jelly off his finger. Yes. War calls for sacrifice. I love that. Yeah. Favorite scene, still the sword fight. I, I, I'll I keep defending it, even though it's it's silly, but they're both good at this and it's and the blocking is exciting. And, and you know, it's a great way to end the episode. I, you know, love the sword fight. And then my my quote is going to come from that same scene. That sword ah. fight was is the doctor saying I'm going to paraphrase it now because I, I, I don't have the exact quote, but he said he was pinned down and by the master. And he says, uh, and the master says something. He says, well, you haven't seen the quality of my footwork. and it's just such an odd thing to say like um i don't know if it's maybe just because it might be a british term but you just never hear someone say oh you never seen the quality of my footwork my my footwork (laughs) well and he's supposed to be the james bond doctor right so he 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 has to to make quips while he's fighting him a a leg work i think he said um i think he's at leg work right maybe it may be footwork look that up but yeah and of course he's saying that because he's kicked the master downs Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, so um, that would be my quote. Of course, reverse the prior, pro, reverse the polarity of a neutron flow is a given, but yeah. that would be my. Um, <laughs> you haven't seen the quality of my legwork. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about favorite scene, Lewis? What or have you or did you over oh, that? You? My fa- I would say since I was saying this is a, a, such an iconic story for Pertwee, and anytime you see a review of of the doctors and they show like all clips of you know various doctors. And you almost always see John Pertwee on the beach holding a sonic screwdriver. So I, I'm going to say, you know, that that sort of iconic scene with him, you know, use almost using the sonic screwdriver as a weapon because he was he was using this he was using it to um, engage these landmines that were on the beach. And uh, but that's like that look with him holding the sonic screwdriver, you know, with the wind blowing through his hair on the beach yeah. and all that. It's it's very glamorous, very James Bondish, and mm-hmm. I think it's it really summarizes um the third doctor. So I'm I'll I'll say that scene. All right. So I'm going to actually say my favorite scene was that as well, but I'm going to go just a tiny fraction different in the direction I'm going to take with it, which is the way John Pertwee played that scene where they're going through the minefield and the way he's jumping or lying on the barbed wire so that Katie Manning's character can go across is the way it was portrayed. It made Mm -hmm. what could have been a very hokey scene play believable to me. And I think that was because of how he did what he did. And it made, like I said, it could have come across hokey, but it came across believable to me. So for that reason, that's my favorite. Yeah. So mm-hmm. final rating. And Lee, I'm going to start with you. One to five, final rating. What say you? It is long in parts. and uh, But my golly, Roger Delgado, Jane Blythe, <laughs> a real nuclear submarine. That's some cool miniature work. Uh, I have to give it four empty toast racks out of five. Okay, four. Lewis, what say you? Well, I'm going to so uh, I'm gonna say four, four and a half toast racks. Um, I, mean, I can't give it a five only because, um, as we discussed, the 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 the, 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 the poor uh, Joe Grant soundtrack. You know, if if we had a special edition of it, you know, where they can just like go back and if we're gonna go all out with the special edition, we could like make the eyes blink on the mm, on on, yes. on the sea devils. That would be really yeah. outstanding. They they did a great job as they 
could with what they had. But going back now, maybe those nets that they had as costume did themselves a favor because it What's great about clothing on aliens is that it covers up the seams. But there are a few scenes where you can actually see like the gloves that they were wearing. That the and we forgive this with Doctor Who. I mean, it's sure. it's it's okay. But giving some love to this old story without changing it too much, but just eliminating some of the things that went a little awry would be nice. You know, and getting rid of that little. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> you know, anytime Joe Grant was like, you know, doing anything. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I would give it four. I would give it four and a half toast racks. So I'm going to give it four. But since you mentioned earlier the second Doctor, and you actually said <laughs> the recorder, I'm going to give it four recorders because I love recorders. Mm. For everyone listening, Lee, we usually say this at the beginning but I'm going to let you say it tonight at the end. What do you like telling people when they are listening to us? I love to tell people that you could have been doing anything for the last hour plus, <laughs> but by golly, you watch Sea Devils and you and you listen to us talking about it. You didn't have to do that. So thank you. Thank you for your time. And I also want to say, while you're saying thank you for your time, I want to say thank you for your time to Lewis. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a nice return back to the world of podcasting. So, and I couldn't have asked for a better company and or better subject matter. So, so thank you for the delightful uh, time that we had today to talk about the Sea Devils and and those that are listening. Once again, as Lee said, thank you for your time because your time is valuable. And mm -hmm. just always remember not to waste your time and always always make time for the people in your lives that you care about. Here, here. Here, here. And you know what? I don't think I have anything else to add other than we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.